Throw me the ball and watch what I do with it. You are now tuned in to the Cherry Picking Podcast with your host, Andre Cherry. Hey everybody, this is your host, Andre Cherry, and you are listening to the Cherry Picking Podcast, which is presented by the Big Heads Media Podcast Network. So on today's episode, I want to recap week one college football, and then I want to look ahead to week two action. And with week two action, I want to give you my locks for this week. And then I also want to preview some of the games that should have your interest over the second week of college football. And first of all, I want to just start off by saying I hope you guys had a great Labor Day weekend. I know I did. The family had traveled from Philly down to Maryland to see some other family. And so we had a great weekend. We were down there for a few days. And I tried to watch football where I could. With the long holiday weekends, there's so much other stuff going on, especially family members around. The weekend was filled with a lot of family activities. We went to the zoo. Uh, We went to the aquarium in Baltimore on Friday night. So there's a lot of stuff we did as a family, but I try to stay in tune with college football. I mean, five days of college football, it can't get any better than that, honestly. And so I tried to watch football where I could, and I watched a few games when time permitted, but I'm excited that college football is back, and I'm actually looking forward to week two action. It'll be a a normal week, and so I'll have more time to dedicate to watching college football all day Saturday which I'm sure my partner will just be thrilled about. (laughs) But if you love college football, there was a lot of action for you to enjoy this past weekend. So I hope you had a great Labor Day weekend. I hope it was a weekend filled with food, fun, family, friends, and football. So we'll recap week one action. My top five locks for week one action within the Power Five conferences. In the ACC, I had Clemson over Georgia Tech. No surprise here. Clemson would just be too much for Georgia Tech. It's a new Georgia Tech squad with a new head coach, Jeff Collins, who previously came from Temple, which is in my backyard, literally. I can look back in my backyard right now and I can see the dorm rooms at Temple less than a mile away in the background. So Jeff Collins, new head coach of Georgia Tech, as expected, they got the loss here. Clemson beat Georgia Tech by a score of 52 to 14. In that matchup, Clemson racked up 632 total yards of offense against Georgia Tech. So certainly not the ideal way to start your tenure at Georgia Tech. But, you know, you get your first taste of the ACC against the reigning national champions. So I'm sure there were a lot of lessons to be learned in this matchup against Clemson if I'm the head coach Jeff Collins at Georgia Tech. In the Big Ten, we had Michigan State over Tulsa. Michigan State beat Tulsa by a score of 28-7. I truly believe Michigan State will be a sleeper in the Big Ten this season, so they're going to be a team to look out for definitely as we proceed through the entire season here. And then in the Big 12, I had Iowa State over Northern Iowa, and this was a thriller. Three-overtime matchup, and Northern Iowa held their own. I mean, Iowa State barely got the victory by a score of 29-26, to and honestly, I was really worried about this game. I didn't get a chance to watch it at all, but I was following the game on my phone, just checking out the stats, and Iowa State, they got all they could handle against Northern Iowa, and they come out with a three-point victory over the Panthers. Iowa State, they're a team that I think could be a sleeper team out of the Big 12 this season. But with a matchup such as that one, as close as it was, that scares me a little bit. It it honestly does. But that's the thing about these rivalry games. 
you know, because despite the fact that Northern Iowa plays in the FCS, the Iowa schools play each other very closely. So Iowa State got all it could handle against Northern Iowa. But in a few weeks here, when they play Iowa, that's going to be a close game as well because they always are very close matchups. So it doesn't surprise me that this game was as close as it was, but I'm glad that Iowa State got the victory. And then in the Pac-12, we had Utah over BYU. The Utes beat the Cougars by a score of 30-12. to And I didn't get a chance to watch this game either, but one of my favorite things in college football as of the last couple of years, to see the BYU Cougar dance around with the cheerleaders at halftime. Have you guys seen those clips on YouTube? I've seen, at least for the past two seasons, the videos that BYU puts out of their Cougar dancing around with the cheerleaders. And the dude's got rhythm. The dude or girl. I mean, I don't, I don't know who, who's in that costume, but that person that is in that Cougar costume can dance. And it's, a, it's always an enjoyable watch. I watch it literally from start to finish. It's like a three-minute routine or something like that. But that warms my heart every season to see the BYU Cougar dance. But with that said, they didn't get the victory in the game against Utah this past weekend. They lost by a score of 30-12. to And honestly, I'm, I'm expecting big things from Utah this season. I predict Utah will make it into the college football playoffs this year. So I'm going to keep a close watch over Utah all season long. And in this game against BYU... Running back Zach Moss rushed for close to 200 yards in this game. He had 189 yards rushing in this game against BYU, which is really solid. And I expect for him to have a great season as well. BYU committed three turnovers in this game. And anytime you're turning the ball over to your opponent, that does not help your chances for success, which is evident in this game, losing 30-12 to to Utah. Those three turnovers were costly. And could have made the difference in this game, honestly. And then in the SEC from Week 0, Florida over Miami by a score of 24-20. to And my thoughts and recap of that game are right here. After watching that Florida game, that was atrocious. I don't know what I just saw. Like, damn. That was embarrassing. Miami Hurricanes versus the number 8th ranked Florida Gators. And I thought the Gators would blow Miami out of the water. I honestly thought that they would handle the Hurricanes no problem, but that was not the case. I mean, there were several opportunities for the Hurricanes to win that game, and it was almost like the Gators were trying to give them the game. I thought that the Gators would beat the brakes off the Hurricanes, and it proved to be a closer matchup than I than I expected. There were four turnovers committed by the Gators in this matchup. The Gators lost two fumbles, and then Felipe Franks also threw two interceptions. The Hurricanes, they brought it this game. Now, granted, I'm I'm not a big fan of the penalties committed. The Hurricanes committed 14 penalties for a total of 119 yards. That's That's a lot of yards in penalties. So that needs to be fixed, and I think that's something that can be fixed moving forward. By comparison, if you look at the Gators, they committed nine penalties for a total of 99 yards, so that's also kind of high. There were some stupid penalties committed by the Gators in this matchup. The Gators should have totally lost this game. They should have lost this game, and so I'm grateful that the Gators won this, but a lot of poor decisions were made in this game. Now, if we look ahead to week two, my week two locks in the ACC, I have NC State over Western Carolina. In week one, NC State beat the Brakes off of ECU 34-6. to 
And the Wolfpack put over 500 yards of total offense in that game, so a very easy win for the Wolfpack. I would expect similar results over West Carolina this weekend, and I think NC State will be 2-0 this weekend after playing Western Carolina. Then in the Big Ten, I have Penn State over Buffalo. Now, Penn State, they destroyed Idaho last week by a score of 79-7 and put up over 673 total yards of offense, which is a whole lot of offense to put up. So that's that was very impressive. In the Big 12, I have Oklahoma State over McNeese. Mike Gundy's offense was in full effect last weekend against Oregon State. The Cowboys beat the Beavers 52-36 to with 555 yards of total offense. That is a lot of offense. Uh, Running backs Chuba Hubbard and Spencer Sanders combined for 330 total yards of rushing with three touchdowns. So I expect Hubbard to have a great season this year. He looked amazing in this game against Oregon State last weekend. I did catch this game because it was a late night game. And he he ran the ball very well, very hard. Um, And I think he's going to have a great season this year for Oklahoma State. I think they're going to be a team to watch out for out of the Big 12 this season. Mike Gundy always has explosive offenses. He's a coach that has had a high level of success in Oklahoma State. They've had a drop-off last season, but the seasons prior to that, they strung together three 10-plus win seasons. So Oklahoma State has all the tools and all the ingredients to be successful out of the Big 12 this year. Definitely want to keep an eye on the Cowboys this season out of the Big 12. But one thing that I do want to call out with Oklahoma State having a high-powered offense, they do play in the Big 12, which is not known for defense. So with that said, Oregon State in that matchup and that loss to Oklahoma State, they had close to 450 yards of total offense. And that's a lot of offense, a lot of yards that you're giving up to your opponents. And so for Oklahoma State to be successful out of the Big 12 this season, they're going to have to play a lot better defense than they did against Oregon State. The Big 12, they're known for offense. And so can Oklahoma State put together a defense that can slow down those high-tempo Big 12 offenses? That's a question that we'll have to wait and see uh, the answer on. But that's just something I wanted to call out. Then in the Pac-12, I'm taking Utah over NIU. I expect running back Zach Moss to have a field day over this NIU defense. And I don't expect Utah to slip up at all in week two against the NIU Huskies. And then in the SEC, this is the game of the week for me. I'm taking LSU over Texas. Now, both of these teams had blowout victories during week one of the season, but I give the edge to LSU. So I'm going to run those back again one more time. My week two locks within the Power Five conferences look like this. In the ACC, I'm taking NC State over Western Carolina. In the Big Ten, I'm taking Penn State over Buffalo. In the Big 12, I'm taking Oklahoma State over McNeese. In the Pac-12, Utah over NIU. And in the SEC, my game of the week, LSU over Texas. So I went 5-0 last week. I'm expecting to go 5-0 this week. And I hope you guys enjoy watching these games because they are going to be some fun matchups here. So there we have it, guys. Those are my cherry-picking week two locks for this upcoming weekend. So now I want to dive in and talk about some games that I'll be watching this weekend. And the games are Army versus Michigan, Texas A&M versus Clemson, Nebraska versus Colorado, LSU versus Texas, and then Syracuse versus Maryland. And so I want to talk about these games briefly just to give you a little bit more knowledge and information about why these matchups are meaningful for week two. 
with the Army versus Michigan game, I honestly, I was so excited for this matchup during the preseason with the hopes that it could be a serious upset watch matchup. However, Armley barely got by Rice last week. I think they had won by a score of 14 to 7. So I'm not really feeling that optimistic as the chances that Army may have in upsetting Michigan this weekend. It doesn't seem likely. Last last year, if you recall, Army had a, a very tough matchup against Oklahoma. Kyler Murray's led offense. That game went into overtime, and Army gave Oklahoma everything it could handle. And unfortunately, they came away with the, the loss in that matchup, but I think they got a lot of respect from the fans down in, in Oklahoma. I was hoping that maybe this season Army could bring that same level of competition against Michigan, and I'm not saying that they can't, but winning last week against Rice by a score of 14-7 doesn't really have me feeling that confident that they can upset Michigan on the road at the big house. I would I would love to see it, though, if they can. And that is a... Army has a good offense, a very solid offense. They have the tools to put together some drives and, and score some points, but Michigan is looking like they will be the favorites out of the Big Ten this season, so I, I don't see them slipping in this game against Army. I think Michigan will get a big win in this game. And then we have Texas A&M versus Clemson. And this, honestly, is the game of the week. And for Clemson, this will be their toughest opponent all season. And it comes in week two of the college football season. Because, honestly, Clemson is not going to lose to anyone in the ACC this season. I'm just going to put that out there right now. So this Texas A&M matchup is the matchup for Clemson. If they can beat Texas A&M, they have an open road to the college football playoffs, honestly. Last season when these two teams met, Clemson barely survived by a score of 28 to 26. I think it could be close this year. It honestly could. Texas A&M has the tools to be competitive and to stick with Clemson, and so I'm excited to see what will happen in this matchup. Now, from the coaching perspective, Head coach Dabo Sweeney has a a slight coaching edge over Jimbo Fisher. In head-to-head matchups, Sweeney is 5-4. So he's won five times to four losses against Jimbo Fisher, who previously was with Florida State. This is now Jimbo Fisher's second season at Texas A&M. So it's pretty evenly matched for the most part. Sweeney got the edge last season with the victory over Texas A&M by a score of 28-26. I think this game could be close again this year as well. Players to look out for on Clemson, running back Travis Etienne. Dude is a monster. He is a beast. He had a great game last week in week one against Georgia Tech. Also want to look out for Trevor Lawrence, the quarterback, sophomore quarterback for Clemson, and then also wide receiver T. Higgins. Those are three explosive playmakers that you're going to want to keep your eyes on whenever Clemson has the ball against Texas A&M. Now, on Texas A&M, you want to look out for quarterback Kellen Mond. I'm expecting great things out of this young man this season. And then running backs, Ja'Shawn Corbin and Isaiah Spiller will also be some players to look out for when Texas A&M has the ball. This is a really exciting game. I don't quite yet know who I'm going to pick to win this matchup. But I think, like I said before... Texas A&M has a good shot to beat Clemson, and I think if Clemson's going to lose at all this season, it will be in this game against Texas A&M in week two of the college football season. And then we have Nebraska versus Colorado. This is an old school matchup of old Big 12 rivals, and honestly, I'm not sold on Nebraska yet. I'm, I'm not sold on them, despite the fact that they're ranked 
in the AP poll, and a lot of people believe that Nebraska has an easy schedule and they and that they can run the tables in the Big Ten West. I still need to see it. Like I need to see it. On paper, it looks nice, sure. But Nebraska lost a whole bunch of games last year, and I'm not confident that they can just turn it all together and turn it on in year two of Scott Frost's tenure as head coach at Nebraska. So I think this will be a a pretty good challenge for Nebraska, honestly. They lost to Colorado last year by a score of 33-28 to at Lincoln. And so now the Cornhuskers have to go on the road to Colorado. And Colorado is a new-look Colorado team this year, new head coach. But if Nebraska is going to win the Big Big Ten West this season, they're going to need to beat Colorado, a team out of the Pac-12 that honestly isn't expected to do much this season. I expect this team to be at the bottom of the Pac-12 this season. So if Nebraska is supposed to be a, a powerhouse out of the Big Ten West this year, they're going to need to beat this Pac-12 opponent who is expected to be in the basement of the conference. So this is a big test for Nebraska. And then another game that I'll be keeping my eyes on is the LSU versus Texas matchup, which is already my lock of the week for the SEC. I'm taking LSU, but I really want to see how Texas can do in this matchup. Because if they can get the win against the LSU Tigers, Texas will be catapulted to the top of the projected playoff pairings. Like this is a solid win for Texas if they can get it. And I think they will be the favorites to go to the college football playoffs this season out of the Big 12 if they can get the victory. I don't think they will win against LSU. I think LSU is is too locked and loaded. I think they have too much depth. I think they're really well coached by Ed Ogeron. I just think that LSU, I think it's their time this season. And they surprised a lot of folks last season. And I think this year they're going to be even better than they were last season. I think they went, they won 10 games last year. I think LSU honestly could win the SEC this season. They're my favorites to do so. And so I really am excited to see what Texas can do against LSU. These two teams blew out their opponents in week one, but I don't know what that really tells us playing inferior talent in week one of the season. It, it doesn't tell me anything. It makes you feel good if you are a fan of these, these teams respectively but it doesn't really tell me where they're at, you know, in comparison to FBS-level talent uh, on a Power 5 level. Like, I I don't know what those Week 1 victories did to make me feel confident about whether or not either of these these two teams can be competitive against Power 5 opponents. Now, certainly, I think that they are good teams. I think LSU, like I said, is my favorite to win out of the SEC. So I'm expecting LSU to handle Texas in this game. I don't think it'll be a blowout, but I think LSU will get the victory against Texas this weekend. And then my last game that I'm really going to be keeping a close watch over is Syracuse versus Maryland. And honestly, I'm not sold on Syracuse yet this season either. I know they had a great season last year, but the three seasons prior to that, they had four win seasons. So I, I know it. You know, one season looked nice. They they've upset Clemson before in the past. They held Clemson really close last year. But I just I don't think this team is real, and that might just be myself thinking that. But I think this game against Maryland could be upset potential. It has an upset potential in the making. Syracuse will have to go on the road to Maryland for this matchup against the Terrapins. 
but I'm really interested to see what will happen out of this game. And I'm not saying Syracuse will lose, but I'm just saying I wouldn't be too confident. I wouldn't be too overly confident that Syracuse comes away with the, with the victory. That's just all I'm saying. So those are the games that I'll be watching in week two action of college football. And you guys should check them out as well. If you are intrigued by some of those storylines and those matchups that I just mentioned, I think you'll definitely want to check them out as well. Now I want to transition into some college football news and views. And the first thing on my list is in regards to FBS versus FCS matchups. Now generally, FBS schools will schedule an FCS opponent, usually in week one or week two of the season. And my question is, what do those matchups really tell us? Do they tell us anything? Am I supposed to glean anything out of these matchups? It feels nice if you know if you're an FBS program such as Maryland over Howard. I'll talk about that game as an example. So Maryland scored like 70 points over FCS opponent Howard in Week One of the season, and it it certainly feels good for the fan base. I'm sure the Maryland fans enjoyed seeing their program come out and play really well against Howard, a team that's really not on the same level as Maryland despite the fact that Maryland is one of the weaker uh, weaker teams in the FBS, weaker teams in the Big Ten, they're not on the same level. They're not the same type of athletes. They're not coached the same way. They just have a better, they have an advantage over Howard. And so as a result, they blew out Howard 70-something to, uh, might have been three or whatever the score was. But do those matchups really tell us anything? Like, should I get excited about seeing Maryland beat an FCS opponent. I, I don't know that I, I I don't know that I am excited about that honestly because I feel like it's a tease. I want to see Maryland against opponents within the FBS. I want to I want to be able to judge their progress against those types of teams as opposed to an FCS opponent because it doesn't tell me anything. So Maryland beat Howard, which was great. But then next week when they play Syracuse and they get blown out, what can I glean from that week one victory? It didn't mean anything in the grand scheme of things. It helped them, you know, maybe pad their stats for the season. It helped them get a win in terms of their pursuits to become bowl eligible at the end of the season. But outside of that, I don't know what value those games have. It, it doesn't necessarily help my players at all if I'm a head coach. Because if anything, it makes my players believe that they're better than they actually are. And in this example of Maryland over Howard, Maryland is predict- projected to be one of the bottom feeder teams out of the Big Ten this season. So do they do they feel big and bad that they beat up on lowly Howard for them to only get the same thing returned to them against Syracuse this weekend? Like, what does it do, really? It doesn't do anything for me. I'm, I'm a college football fan. I love college football games. But I don't want to see these matchups against FBS and FCS because it doesn't tell me anything. It really doesn't. And I could even bring up this historic loss that Tennessee had to Georgia State. Now, certainly, Georgia State, they, they no longer play in the FCS. They have been in the FBS for the last seven seasons now, I want to say. But Tennessee is a program that historically has been one of the premier programs out of the SEC and they have one of the most historic losses to Georgia State this past weekend. Tennessee lost 38 to 30 and everybody's making a big hubbubaloo about this because they think that this is rock bottom for Tennessee. 
I saw a tweet from from Paul Feinbaum who said, and I'll read it to you because it was pretty pretty funny. So Paul Feinbaum from ESPN said, and I quote, I have watched Tennessee football since I was three years old, and this is rock bottom. Beyond words, beyond belief, end quote. And that tweet got over 16,000 likes. It was retweeted close to 2,700 times. If you are a SEC football fan, if you love the history of the SEC, Tennessee is a team that is at the top of, of the list of, you know, some of the best programs of all time. But Tennessee has not been playing great football consistently for the past decade or so, over the past decade. And so for him to say this is rock bottom, no, it's not. I mean, Tennessee has been bad for a little while now. Last season, the Volunteers went 5-7. and seven. The season before that, the Volunteers went 4-8. and eight. So if, that, if a 4-8 and eight season is not rock bottom, I, I don't know what this is. I think it was a bad loss, an unfortunate loss, but we knew who Tennessee was. We knew this was a bad team. I'm not going to say this is rock bottom because they hit that a long time ago, honestly. And people are making a big deal about, oh, Tennessee paid Georgia State $950,000 to have them come to Tennessee and for them to pull up an upset victory over the Volunteers. But this team is bad, man. And they're going to be bad this season out of the SEC. And so Georgia State, I mean, they went 2-10 and last season. I think a lot of people are upset about that, that you have a Georgia State team that is not on the level of an SEC opponent and they came on the road and upset Tennessee who's they've only been playing football for 7 seasons within the FBS. This team came to Tennessee, they came to Knoxville and upset Tennessee. Certainly that is a bad loss. Um and that is that's very bad. I'm not going to mince words about that, but Tennessee was bad a long time ago and I don't know what's going to turn this program around. In the news the, this past offseason, they had a coaching carousel within Tennessee of, of potential candidates for that head coaching job. And it's just like nobody wants to go to Tennessee. It's not the premier destination as it once was in the 90s. This Tennessee team is bad. They're going to be bad this season. But to say this is rock bottom, I don't agree with that. I mean, that, this is a bad loss, but this is not rock bottom. I'm curious to see how they'll rebound from this week one embarrassment. Furthermore... As a group, the Georgia State Panthers, they rushed for over 200 yards while its defense limited the Volunteers to only 93 yards of rushing. That's unacceptable. You cannot be outrushed by a Georgia State squad and expect to win. That's just, that needs to be fixed immediately. There's some really good sound bites from some of the Tennessee players in regards to why they feel they lost this game. They just were outcoached. They were out-hustled. Um, they just... They just did not give their best effort. And I don't know if that's something from a lack of preparation. Like maybe they were overlooking Georgia State. But I don't know why they they would have done that. This is your first opportunity to start the season off with a win. And you shit the bed against a team that has no business coming into your home and embarrassing you in front of all your fans, in front of your family, in front of the entire program. You got embarrassed. It's not rock bottom. Again, this is not rock bottom, but it does not look good. And for a team that only won five games last season, you are not helping your chances of success this season by losing to Georgia State. So we'll see what happens from here. We'll see how they can rebound. 
but that was very embarrassing and arguably probably the biggest storyline of week one was Tennessee losing to Georgia State. Overall in the SEC, they didn't do well in week one. They didn't do well for my predictions as well. This is the the worst conference that I predicted out of my week one predictions within Power 5. I did the worst in the SEC because South Carolina lost to UNC, which I did not see happening. Ole Miss lost to Memphis. Tennessee lost to Georgia State. And Missouri lost to Wyoming. So the SEC did not have a great week one. They didn't have a great showing in week one. But I'm confident that week two, they'll turn it around as a conference. Another conference that I want to talk about is the Big Ten West. Now, I know there was a lot of talk about the SEC not performing well, but the Big Ten West barely squeaked by. You know, Minnesota won 28-21 to to South Dakota State. And I think there are people out there who are delusional and believe that Minnesota will win 10 games this season. They aren't going to win 10 games this season, especially not with victories over South Dakota State. FCS opponent again, mind you, and they barely squeak by 28 to 21. So that had me worried a little bit. And then Purdue lost to Nevada 34 to 31. The Boilermakers let the Wolfpack come back and score 17 unanswered points in this game to lose this game against Nevada. So I, that is that you can't have that happen if you expect to win games. You can't fold like that. They folded. They gave up. And I'm worried for Purdue because certainly they have great players such as Rondell Moore, but it doesn't mean anything if you can't play a full ball game. Like, what does having Rondell Moore do for you if you can't play football, if you can't play offense and defense for four quarters? That it, that, that doesn't bode well for your chances out of the Big Ten West this season. I'm sorry. Then we had Northwestern. They lost to Stanford. I saw that loss coming. I really did. But, you know, this is your Big Ten West champion losing to Stanford. Northwestern has a lot of holes on its roster. They are going to have a tough go at it this season. You know, Northwestern, Chicago's Big Ten team, is going to have a tough go at it this season. And then we have Nebraska. They won over South Alabama. But that score, 35-21, to seems a little bit closer than it should have been, honestly. Which is why I am really interested to see what will happen this weekend versus Nebraska and Colorado. So I know the SEC didn't fare well in week one, but the Big Ten West didn't do that well either. And I know we say it's a wide-open conference, which it is, but somebody's got to show me something out of this conference, out of this division of the Big Ten West. So that's a conference that I'll be keeping my eye on for sure, or a division that I'll be keeping my eyes on this season. And then the last story I want to get into is JT Daniels, quarterback for USC. He got injured in week one action against Fresno State. The Trojans won against the Bulldogs by a score of 31-23. to But JT Daniels suffered uh, ACL and torn meniscus in his right knee, which has him out for the entire season. Now my question is, is Urban Meyer going to USC sooner than expected? A lot of folks believe that he's going to be coming back to coach college football. Some people believe that USC could be the destination for Urban Meyer. I honestly believe that Urban Meyer will eventually go to Notre Dame. But with JT Daniels suffering this major injury, that does not bode well for Clay Helton's future at USC. 
Helton is now in his fifth season at USC, where he's posted two 10-win seasons during his tenure. However, last season, the Trojans went 5-7. and seven. And USC is a program that likes to win. They are a team that expects to win. And I just don't believe having two subpar seasons back-to-back will bode well for Clay Helton's chances of remaining as the head coach at USC. That's just my opinion. The Trojans have a very tough schedule this season, and Phil Still says it's the third toughest schedule in all of FBS. And your starting quarterback goes down in week one of the season. In steps up true freshman Kedon Slovis. He'll start on Saturday against Stanford. Last weekend, he went 6 of 8 for 57 yards, and he threw an interception during his relief duties against Fresno State. So it's definitely going to be tough sledding here for USC it, beginning in week two of the season against Stanford. So I I do not like USC's chances this season, and I'm really concerned about Clay Helton's future as the head coach at USC. It doesn't look good. And again, could Urban Meyer be coming to USC sooner than expected? I think we'll find out after this season. We definitely will. So there we have it, guys and gals. That's my week two podcast for the college football season. I'm so excited that we are now into week two action of college football. I feel like I was waiting all year for this. And now that it's here, I'm going to try to enjoy the moment. It's not a holiday weekend, so that means I'll have plenty of time to watch college football on Saturday. I'm sure my partner will love that, to have me away watching college football all weekend. So hope you guys enjoyed this podcast. You can find my content at cherrypickingsports.com. Please follow along with me all season long. Connect with me on Twitter. I'm at cherry underscore picking. You can even drop me an email at cherrypickingsports.com. I would love to talk to you guys. I'd love to interact with you guys all season long because I love college football and I cannot wait to get into it each week with you guys. So thank you for listening. Thank you for downloading this show. Hope you guys have a great week and hope you enjoy watching week two action of college football. I'll talk to you guys later. Take care. Thank you again for tuning into my Cherry Picking Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please feel free to subscribe to my show and drop me a rating on Apple Podcasts. All of my digital content can be found at the website cherrypickingsports.com. And if you are looking to interact with me via social media, my Twitter handle is at cherry underscore pickin. That's P-I-C-K-I-N. On my Twitter, you'll also find a link to my blog where I post my weekly college football predictions and analysis. I can also be reached via email at cherrypickinsports at gmail.com. Please feel free to reach out to me regarding what you like about this podcast or about what content you'd like to hear more of on future episodes. I sincerely thank you for your support, and I can't wait to talk to you again soon. Take care.